My name is Andy, and whether you're uh, at the Valley Campus today, if you're at East, or if you're watching online, we're just so glad and expectant that God's going to do something incredible in our lives today. Amen. Isn't he? I hope you're ready to hear and ready to receive, because I think God is ready to, ready to speak to us today. But I want to start today just by, just by asking a simple question. Like, have you ever had a moment in your life when you were really proud of something? All right? If you were proud of yourself, that's right. That, that can be it, too. But, like, just a moment when you really took pride in something that, something that you accomplished or something that you that you achieved in your life. I know maybe it was a, a promotion that you got at work or maybe you completed your degree and you got the grades you were looking for and you got into the school you wanted to or maybe as a parent, maybe your kids just did something that made you really proud and you're like, yeah, I got that right. I did that right. I played a part in that or whatever it was, just a moment when you felt good about something, you felt good about something in your life. I remember, I've had a few moments like that in my life, but I remember one specifically from when I was in like elementary school, all right? It still sticks out in my head and it's so silly, you're gonna laugh at me, but it was a it was a coloring contest we had at church when I was a kid, all right? And like you gotta understand, for me, I'm like the least artistic person in the entire world, okay? And I, I'm pretty sure that, that is that is probably true. I can't even draw, I can't even draw a stick man. Okay, for instance, like we were dating, my wife, she's pretty artistic, and she uh, she drew some incredible stuff in high school. And one time we were dating just for fun, I think to mess with me, she's like, hey, let's draw portraits of each other. I'll draw you and you draw me, and then we'll show each other what they look like. And so so we drew them and she turned hers around and it was awesome. I think I look better in that picture than I do in real life. I look great. She did an awesome job. And then I looked at mine, and I'm like, this is just, this is going to be bad. I turned the thing around, and she just laughed for like 10 minutes. She looked like Quasimodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I'm not even kidding. And it was like, it, and then she got mad at me for some reason. I, I can't understand why, but I'm just kidding. She didn't really. But I, I just, all that to say, I just can't draw. I'm not artistic. But this one time, when I was in elementary school, and at my church, they had this contest. We were doing the special program. We were there in the weeknights. And then one night, the teachers came by, and they they put a coloring sheet in front of all the kids. Everybody got the exact same sheet. I still remember today. This is ridiculous, all right? I was in like grade one, and I still remember today. It was Noah and the ark, and I remember where the ostriches were, and the, and the elephants were over there, and the giraffes in the background, and I just felt like this is my moment. This is my time, all right? I'm like the worst colorer ever, but tonight is going to be different, and for whatever reason, I just like dove into that thing, and it was so, it was so not me, but I could just feel it. It was just every, the creativity was flowing through me like it never had before I colored the ostriches red and yellow because I thought that was cool and it would impress the judges for whatever reason and I remember them coming around and collecting them afterwards and taking them up front and holding them up and the teachers were deciding which out of like these 50 pages which one was going to be the winner and then they held up mine and said this is it and in that moment I was like yes I did it you know I colored that so hard I tried so hard and I worked so hard on that and I it worked out. I want something. It's just, and it's silly and it's dumb. I understand that. As an elementary school, it's a coloring contest. But there's something about the potency of that memory. The fact that I still remember that many details about it now as a grown man is really kind of sad, you know? But for you, you can probably relate to that on, on some level, right? That you've had that, that moment or that time. And there's something like that or a few memories like that probably that stand out where it's like, man, I was just so proud to be a part of that or proud of what my kids accomplished or proud of what I achieved or proud to be a part of that or play on that team. And one of the things that I've been most proud of my entire life to be a part of is, is the church, is the church of Jesus Christ. It's just always been something that's been a great source of just real pride and contentment for me, not, not in a bad way, I don't think, but just really proud to be a part of a community of people that's living more, hopefully, for others than for themselves, a community that's willing to die to themselves, a community that's bringing hope and life to where it wasn't before, a community that wants to bring some meaning into the world and some meaning into the people around them. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. 
And it's always brought me a lot of pride and a lot of joy throughout my life. And I think one of the coolest things about being the church, about us here today, even King's Church specifically, I'm talking about the capital C church, you know, like the whole church across the world, but specifically in our church too, like we get to be the representatives of Jesus Christ, don't we? That he literally like left us in charge, left it like, like what we're talking about in the book of Acts, we're working through our Acts series. The church that Jesus established left us in charge of spreading his good news, his gospel, his love, and his grace to the world. We're like his, his hands and his feet. We're his army. We're his, we're his boots on the ground, so to speak. And we're spreading his love. Like, I mean, that's, that's an incredible thing. It's an, it's an awesome responsibility. But then on the flip side of that coin, if I'm being just totally honest with you tonight, and I hope we can do that, that there are moments and have been moments in my life where I didn't really feel like shouldering that responsibility, where I didn't really want to represent Jesus at certain times in my life. I just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do, right? Because, because it was easier. And I, like, there's been more than a few moments in my life where I didn't carry that responsibility well, where I didn't conduct myself well, where I wasn't, I didn't speak well for Jesus. Pastor John talked last week about putting in a good word for Jesus. There's been moments where I've, I've messed up in that, right? And I, I think that you can probably relate to that too. I think that's a tension that we all struggle with from time to time is that, man, if we are as the church and if for those of us that are in, that we would say, this is my church and I am a part of the church and I am a follower of Jesus, that if we represent him everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we do, when we really stop and think about it, that can be a lot of pressure, can it? And because none of us are perfect, none of us ever get this 100% right all the time. And even today, I'll be honest with you, there are moments, I'm so proud to be a part of the church, but there are moments when it almost feels more like a burden than a blessing. Like moments where I, I, I read things on, and articles online or I see things in the news where there are, are people that do horrible things, but they claim to do them in the name of God. You know what I'm talking about? I see... I, I see like, the terrorists do it, politicians do it, racists do it. Like for some reason they're doing these things and they claim to be doing them in the name of God. And it breaks, it breaks my heart. I'm sure it breaks yours because I know that it's not just an isolated incident that's not only affecting them and it's not only affecting their life and doing damage there, but it has a ripple effect, doesn't it? Because then I read the comments on the article and I see what people are saying and people begin, because they identify that, they begin to think that maybe the church is, is outdated or archaic or fanatics, and it just saddens my heart in those moments. It's almost like I feel that I need to apologize for being a part of the church. It can make me, make me cringe, and I think that for us, you know, sometimes we might feel like because of today and the internet and just the accessibility we have to everything and the anonymity people have to just say whatever they want online and things like that, we might feel like this is a new thing, but in reality, this whole tension of, of representing Christ well and all that we say and do and putting in a good word for Jesus and, 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 and doing a good job of shouldering that responsibility as a church and carrying the good name of Christ everywhere we go. This is a tension that has been struggled with ever since the church was first founded. From the moment that Jesus ascended back to heaven and left us in charge, left his followers in charge and said, you guys are now going to be the ones that are going to spread the good news. You guys are going to be the ones that are going to do the good work. From that moment, those people, the people that were reading about an Acts or this series, they were the first ones who really had to figure out what it meant to live their lives in response to what Jesus had done for them on the cross. They were the first ones who really had to figure out what it meant for their words and their actions everywhere they went, not only reflected on themselves any longer, but if, if they were a follower of Jesus, 
that it also, it also reflected on him, right? Because there are moments when, when I slip up and there are moments when I'm less than kind. Maybe there's been moments where we've been there and we've done something that we've regretted. And the problem with that is that when we also wear a name tag that says, I follow Jesus and I'm a part of the church, that it doesn't reflect on us, only on us, but it also reflects, it also reflects on him. And the good news is, is that, you know what? We get, to, we get to be a part and partner with God and partner with his spirit that, you know, it's not hopeless for us to, to feel like, man, how do, I, how do I measure up? How do I do that? How do I represent Christ well? The early church struggled with it. And I want us to read tonight from the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to read in Acts chapter 18, just really briefly, because I'm actually going to jump ahead to the New Testament a little bit. But if you've got it there in Acts chapter 18, we're going to pick it up in verse 24. We'll throw it on the screen for you as well. But I just wanted you to read a little bit of this tension that arises in the, in the early church here to introduce to this, this character we're going to meet. Verse 24 of chapter 18 of Acts says this, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt, and he had been taught the way of the Lord and taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. Now, Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go. They wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. Now, get this. When he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who, by God's grace, had believed. He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. So, just right here in this, this brief little snippet out of the book of Acts, we get introduced to this guy named Apollos, all right? And it's the only place in all of Acts that he's mentioned. And we're going to see here in just a couple of minutes that there's a couple other places in the New Testament where we hear and learn a little bit more about him. But immediately what's identified to us right here in Acts and in this passage is that this guy is gifted, all right? Dude's got some skills. He's a, he's a heavy hitter as, as far as it goes from leading and building the early church. I mean, he's got a lot of incredible gifts. He's brilliant. He's a gifted communicator. He's an orator. He can debate and hold his own in public. Like, he's doing a lot of really solid kingdom work, all right? But what's interesting is that that's the only place he's mentioned in the book of Acts, just a few verses. And in the rest of the chapter of 18 and the, the following chapters, and 19 and so on, we're actually reading about the Apostle Paul. And if you've been around church long at all, you've probably heard of the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the books in the New Testament, one of the founding fathers of our faith. Paul's a pretty big deal, all right? And so we read about more about Paul, and then all of a sudden here, just for this little, for whatever reason, the author, Luke of Acts, decided to throw in this little bit about Apollos, all right? And later on, Paul would, later on would write some more subsequent letters that would address some of the things that began to bubble up between himself, the Apostle Paul, and this guy, Apollos, that we hear about here, because what happened was, you know, Paul and Apollos were kind of in, kind of confusing names, they're really close together. They were in the same business, though, right? Paul was another gifted communicator and leader, another orator, another builder of the churches, okay? And so what happened was, as these guys were both going around doing their ministry, doing awesome things, doing incredible kingdom work, they began to develop followings, all right? People started to say, man, Paul's awesome. We're going like, to follow him around and go to wherever church he goes to and listen to his sermons. He's great. And then there were other people over here that were like, man, we really like Apollos, and we've heard Paul, but we think Apollos is better. And it started to become this almost, almost a competition between these two groups or congregations, I think you could call them. Where the people that like really liked Apollos were like, man, I don't know, Paul's good, but but Apollos, he's he's got the jokes, right? Like he's like super funny. Paul gets a little too serious. We like Apollos, and then people over here were like, I don't know, man. Paul wears 
great skinny jeans. I don't know what it is. I don't know. You gotta be, to be a pastor, you gotta wear skinny jeans, I guess, right? Maybe that's just our church. I, I don't know. I don't know. But for whatever it was, like, they were going back and forth, right? And they were saying, like, man, I, I like Apollos. I like Paul. And it, it almost became, like, a bitterness that started to develop to the point where Paul felt like he needed to address it. He needed to say something, all right? And so in the book of 1 Corinthians, again, fast forward a little bit through your New Testament, one of these letters that Paul writes to a church that he planted in Corinth, in the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians, in verse 10, I want you to listen to what Paul says as he kind of addresses this tension here between these two congregations, between the church He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Uh Uh-oh, there's a rat in the midst. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. And I like this. Or, I follow a Peter, another Apollos. Or, I follow only Christ. I like those people. Those are like the Jesus jukes. You know what a Jesus juke is? Like you go up to someone and say, hey, I saw a really awesome movie last night. And they say, oh, I haven't seen it yet. I don't have time to watch movies. I'm too busy reading the Bible, right? It's like one of those those people. I, I only follow Christ. I don't follow any of those guys. Anyway, that's an aside. Has Christ been divided into factions, Paul says? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. And I like this, how we see Paul kind of goes on a little rabbit trail in his own mind here. Verse 14 says, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. Well, except for Crispus and, and Gaius. For Now no one can say they were baptized in my name. And then in brackets, oh yeah, and I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anybody else. And then he gets back to it in 17. He says, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And not with clever speech, but for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. And you know what? I mean, it's easy to read that and think, that's just silly, that's just weird. But it's, it's pretty easy, let's be honest. We still do a lot of the same things today, right? We church shop and we're looking for a church. Don't we? we compare pastors to pastors. We compare musicians to musicians and kids programs and whatever it is, the style of music that we like. Like, we do the exact same thing, all right? It becomes really easy to begin to compare ourselves. And it becomes really easy for us as people we all know. We compare personally too. It's not just our churches. We compare ourselves up against other people in our lives to see how we measure up or where where we stand with them. But Paul's pointing to the church here. He says, listen, we can't we can't be doing that stuff. There, there's, there's so many more important things that we've got to do. There's so many more better ways for us to be spending our time. The only person we need to be comparing ourselves to as a church is to Jesus, right? And how we measure up with him and how our lives reflect his glory and his work, his work in our lives. And there's these kind of things, these kind of distractions, these kind of disagreements, these sort of petty arguments that might bubble up between us. Those are things that the enemy would love to use to distract us from the awesome kingdom work and the mission that God has laid right in front of us. That we've all got this incredible thing to do and there's, there's, there's too much at stake to get distracted by all this stuff. And then Paul keeps going a couple chapters later in chapter three of verse Corinthians. He just doesn't pull any punches at all. Tells it like it is, right? You gotta remember, he's talking to his friends here. He planted this church, right? So he just, he talks plain with them. And in verse three of chapter three in 1 Corinthians, he says, dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. You bunch of babies, that's what he's saying. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you were controlled by your sinful nature. Man, this is, this is rough. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? And aren't you living like people of the world. 
When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you have believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. And it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And the one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. And that's right there. Paul, he just drops the hammer, doesn't he? He draws this clear line of distinction between the church, those of us who were in, those of us who would say, I'm followers of Jesus, and the rest of the world, all right? If you're just here tonight checking it out, and you're like, and I'm not sure about this thing yet, hey, you're off the hook, right? But Paul says, for those of us who would say, I'm a part of the church, I'm a member of the church, I've got the name tag on, I'm on Team Jesus, go Jesus, right? If that's us, Paul says, there's got to be a clear line of distinction there from the way that we behave and the way that other people behave, there's got to be a difference. People are going to be able to notice there's, a, there's this higher standard of responsibility that we're called to because we're not just representing ourselves anymore, right? We're representing Jesus to others that are on looking and watching to see how, we, see how we conduct ourselves. And the petty fights and the disagreements that might rise up sometimes, man, we've just got too much at stake to get caught up in that. There's got to be a difference. We've got to look different as a people. And Paul's saying as followers of Jesus, like shouldn't, shouldn't we stand out a little bit? Shouldn't we look different? Shouldn't we be unique? Shouldn't something be different in us, right? Because, you know, even if I, even if I just look at the, the world stage of politics right now, right? Because we understand the way the world works, don't we? If I look at the, the political scene right now, it, to me, a lot of days it just seems like it's a big schoolyard brawl with a bunch of bullies trying to prove who's the toughest, you know? Like, we understand that culture says me first and us first, but Paul says our culture as a church and as believers and as representative Jesus has to be different. It can't be the same. One of our codes here at King's Church is that we will be a people who are decidedly difference because we understand that we want it to be a part of our DNA and our very ethos as a church and as a people that as we're embracing a heavenly culture and a heavenly reality that we we understand that we're going to stand out and look a little bit different from people who don't all right and that's okay that's a good thing you know I think Paul's touching on something else here that we sometimes that we sometimes forget and the church could we get ourselves in, in trouble with this a lot of times is that often we expect people to change their behaviors before they meet Jesus and sometimes we do try to take our beliefs and our our values and project them onto someone who doesn't believe the same way that we do and that doesn't work that, le that leaves a horrible taste in people's mouths right because we can't ever change someone's heart we can't ever win someone's heart by dictating them a list of rules and, and behaviors and, and checklists they gotta perform, but we can introduce them to a God who's greater than all their sin, amen? We can introduce them to a God who's so much greater than all their shame or all their pain. We can introduce them to a God that can transform their life and turn it into something beautiful the same exact way that he's done for us. It's a huge mistake when we tell people that they have to act like us when they don't yet believe like we do. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul goes on a little bit further, another letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, and it's in the same vein that he's talking to the church there in chapter four of Ephesians. Get this, all right, this is for the church, this is for us. He says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything that you say, that's huge, let everything that you say, let me say it again, let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. 
but remember that he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Oh my goodness, there's a list for us, huh? As well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And man, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it's not always easy for every word out of my mouth to be good and helpful. Like, am I, am I the only one who struggles with that? Like, when it comes to getting rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and slander, like, I can't ever speak a negative thing about someone else. Like, that seems like a pretty tall order. I'm not always, I'm not always great at that. But as the church, we can't just throw in the towel and say, listen, I just can't measure up. I can't do it. That's too tall of an order. Like, if Jesus has called us to this, if we're called to this as believers, and we've got to understand that, man, we are not in this alone. Like, there's, there's hope for us, right? Because when I read that, I automatically just think, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. Like, I can't, that's, I can't be that all the time, right? And maybe you feel the same way, but, you know, it's, it's, it's the Spirit of God in us and the gift that he's given us that really makes this possible for us, right? Jesus didn't just leave and ascend back to heaven and say, hey, guys, you're in charge now, all right? Always be nice to each other. Don't ever screw it up, or when I come back, you're gonna be in big trouble, right? Like, it's not what he did. He left, he, left, he said, I'm leaving you my spirit, the Holy Spirit who guides us, who provides for us. He kicks in when we're weak. He gives us, excuse me, he gives us patience. He gives us kindness. He gives us understanding. He gives us wisdom. He gives us insight when we need it. The most, the only reason that we can do this is because of the Heavenly Father's gift, the Holy Spirit at work in us. The only reason. And I think that's a pretty incredible gift and something that sometimes that we are quick to take for granted. So if it's crucial for us as a church to begin to really understand and own and, and shoulder this responsibility, then how do we take those practical steps, right? Because I don't think I'm the only one who's messed up, right? I don't think I'm the only one who's not perfect. I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with this. I hope you're, I hope you're getting this and understanding this, but I think there's three phases or three things that we can do that'll begin to connect us with the heart of the Father. And so begin to help us begin to make this sort of a shift in our life, right? And they all start with A. So if you like to write things down, okay, this is the time. Dig out the old pen and pencil, all right? The first phase, the first phase is just this, assessment, all right? That if we want to begin to live this reality in our life, if we want to begin to make sure that everything we're saying and doing, everything we are is representing Jesus well, for those of us that are in the church, then the first phase we got to visit is assessment, right? To really be just completely honest with ourselves, take an evaluation of our lives, and just really think, okay, what, what motivates me, if I'm being honest? Like when I get out of the bed in the morning, what is it that, that motivates me to do what I do? Is it, is it my own agenda? Is it my own goals? Is it my own values that I set out for myself? Or is it, is it a kingdom agenda? Is it what I believe God wants for me? Is it what I believe God wants to do in my life today? Is it what I, how I believe God wants to use me? And if, if, if we're just being, excuse me, brutally honest with ourselves today. And I hope we can do that. I hope we can do that as a church, just be really honest with each other. If we're being brutally honest, how do we think that the people around us are perceiving us? Like if they were judging our church, if they were judging Jesus by our actions and by our behaviors and the way that we conducted ourselves, what kind of an impression would they be given? I don't know about you, but that's not a comfortable thing to do, but I think it's so necessary and so healthy when we're willing to do that and assess ourselves and our lives in that way, we might be surprised what we learn, what we discover. The first phase is assessment. The next one is, again, starts with A. It's adjustment, all right? Because 
If we don't, if we, there's no point in, in taking an assessment if we're not willing to make some adjustments, right? If we look at our lives and see some things that might need to change, we've got to be willing to do the work of making the adjustments. I remember when I was a kid, when my brother and I were cutting up and my dad would look at us, he would say, you guys are about to get an attitude adjustment, all right? Anybody ever have an attitude adjustment? For us, that translated to a whooping, okay? And we always deserved it. I'll just tell you that right now. But the, the, we, sometimes we just need an attitude adjustment a little bit, right? We need to alter some things. Evaluation without change is only going to frustrate us, right? There's no point in taking an assessment of our life if we're not willing to do some of the work to make a shift in these areas, all right? If we discover that our default reaction is just to absolutely go off and fly off the handle on someone when they offend us in some way, maybe we need to make a little bit of an adjustment. You know what I'm saying? Paul talks about in the book of Galatians later on the fruits of the Spirit, and one of them is self-control. If if a characteristic of having the Spirit of God living in us is self-control, we need to learn to keep that under control. If one of our default reactions is just to tend to talk about people when they're not around and talk about them behind their back, if we struggle with that, and a lot of us do, let's just be honest again, then maybe we need to make an adjustment in our life. Maybe we could do better. If we like to go hang out with our friends and hang out at Tim Hortons, but all we can find to talk about is what's wrong with the world and all the things that need to change and how everything's getting horrible and the world's just a mess, then, then maybe we need to begin to make an adjustment in our life. Maybe there's something better that God's got for us. Maybe he wants us to begin to speak life and not death. Maybe our words could be more helpful. Maybe our words could be better. Maybe they could be healthier. When we're willing to make some adjustments, that's going to make all the difference in the world. I heard a quote one time, and I I really liked it. It just stuck with me. I've never forgotten it. It just says this really simply, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right, all right? Think about that just for a second, all right? Is that we, if you think that you can't make those adjustments on your own, you're right, okay? But you know who can? God, his work in your life, the Holy Spirit. Where we're weak, he's strong, church. He's the one who enables us to do this. He's the one that comes in, fills in the gaps for us. His grace is more than sufficient to live our lives this way. This isn't just, I want you to understand, so many times in church we hear this and we read these kinds of things, like this isn't just a lofty ideal, and sometimes we're like, yeah, well, that's a great idea, but I'm never gonna get there. No, this is possible. This is God's will for us as his church and as his followers because of his spirit that's at work within us. There's so many incredible things he wants to use us for if we're just willing to begin to make some of those necessary adjustments with things that we may or may not struggle with. So we've got the phase of assessment, we've got the phase of adjustment, and the last one is this, accountability, all right? Another one of our codes as a church is that we are built together. We're better better in community. You know what, for me, if I find a place in my life where I, I am weak and I, I occasionally struggle, like if I'm going to miss the mark and I'm going to mess up from time to time and the good Lord knows that I am because I'm not perfect, somebody in my life that I trust and that I love has to have permission to put me in check, right? Has to have permission to steer me back onto the right path and say, hey man, you're, you're, you're getting off track here. Hey man, you need to work on this a little bit. Hey man, you're flying off the handle a little bit. Hey, be a little bit nicer. You know, whatever it is for you, the best hope that we have to make effective change, to make those adjustments in our life, is to open ourselves up to accountability with our friends, with our community. That's one of the best gifts that God gave us in the church, is that we don't have to do this alone. The Spirit of God is with us. Our brothers and sisters are with us. It's such a high calling. There's so much at stake. We're absolutely better 
together. And I don't want anybody to take this as permission either to start going and telling everybody in your row all the things that they need to change, right? Be like, all right, let's be accountable. You suck and you need to change this, right? Like, no, that's not what this is about, okay? Please don't do that. That's a horrible, horrible idea, okay? Unless someone asks you to, okay? Then it's all right. But find a way to invite someone to speak that truth in your life. It's going to be a game changer. I promise you take advantage of the community that God is that God has given us. Because here's the thing, church, to follow Jesus at the end of the day, to call ourselves the church, is to be different, is to stand out, I think, in the best way possible. Because of who Jesus is, we are who we are. And he's called us to something more. He's called us to rise above some of the things that other people may tend to get stuck in. You know, once upon a time, the church was so irresistible. There was a version of of our faith that was just so dynamic and so compelling that it managed to convince the very empire that crucified Jesus that it was a good thing and they should follow him. Something about that early church was just irresistible, that people just couldn't seem to stay away from it. Even if there were things that they didn't understand and things that they couldn't quite yet comprehend, they were drawn to a group of people who were different, a group of people that stood out in the best possible way, a group of people that had something that they didn't have but they knew that they wanted and needed in their life. And I think that the church is still the exact same church today. We should be just as irresistible. We can be just as irresistible to the community around us, but it might mean just being willing to remember and to remind ourselves occasionally, probably regularly, that what we've been called to is a life-altering, history-making, earth-shattering movement that deserves our best. The church of Jesus Christ is, a, is, is God's gift to the world, and there's so much that he wants to do in us. There's so much, man, King's Church, you are nailing it. You are killing it. God is using this church to do some amazing and some incredible things, but we can only strive to get better, can't we? We can only strive to leave behind some of those things that might tie us down. Could be that God is calling you to do the most amazing, the most incredible thing in your life that you've ever done yet, but maybe you need to be willing to assess and adjust and find some accountability to help you get to that get to that next step. We're going to have an opportunity for us together as a church to, to celebrate communion today. And I love, I love the Lord's Supper. I love communion. And Paul actually talks about it later on in 1 Corinthians verse 11 as well. And he continues to talk about these relationships within the church and the relationships that we have with each other and relationships that we have to our community. He actually quotes some of the words of Jesus himself from the Lord's Supper. But Paul understood that, that the Lord's supper, the communion, that this table is the great, is a great equalizer. That because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he created this, this level playing field. It's just even ground now where it doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. It doesn't matter if you've been here your entire life or if this is your very first time tonight. It doesn't matter what's in your past and what you've done. It only matters if we accept the invitation that Jesus has sent out to us. That at this table, there truly is a seat for everyone. All we need to do is accept that invitation. And Paul calls the church to repent as they're taking communion together. It's a time, he felt like, in so many words, to assess, to adjust, to find accountability with each other, to bring their lives back into line with what God has called them to, with the mission of the church, to remind themselves why what they're doing is so critical and it matters so much and there's so much at stake that they can't miss it. That as a church, we've got to strive for something better. We've got to strive to be different. We've got to shoot for something higher. We've got to set the bar higher 
for ourselves. And the only motivator for any of us, the only reason that any of us would ever want to live that way, the only reason that any of us would ever try to live that way. Some may say we're crazy, but it's because we're living our lives in response to what Jesus gave for us, aren't we? The same way the early church had to learn what it looked like to live their lives in response to the cross. We live our lives in response to that cross still today. And that's the work that Jesus does in every one of our lives. So as we take communion together as a church, and we do this on a regular basis if you're new here, but it's an opportunity for us to look back and to remember what Jesus did for us and remember what he accomplished for us on the cross that day. But it's also an opportunity for us to look forward to what he's placed in front of us, church, to look forward to what it is that he's called us to, to look forward to the mission that he's placed in front of us and to remind ourselves that it's only possible because of him, that what's in front of me, I can't do it on my own. I can't live this way on my own. I can't, I can't be this kind of person and, and, and just be kind all the time and be nice and not ever talk about anybody behind their back. I can't do that on my own, but with God's help that I can. And I pray that the people around me and in my life would see something different and be attracted to the church and be attracted to God. We can't fix them. We can't change them. We can't save people, but we serve a God who can. So tonight, as we take communion, I want us to remember that, and I want us to look forward to what he's called us to. If you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, then this, this isn't, you don't even need to worry about this. We'd ask you to sit this one out. This is an invitation that Jesus has extended to his followers. But tonight, our prayer is that this would be your first communion ever, that you would choose to follow Jesus tonight and participate in this with us in this incredible moment that God has invited us to. But tonight, I pray that we would look at this Lord's Supper on this table as we come together and be willing to set aside some of our differences, be willing to set aside some of our carnality, be willing to set aside some of our bitterness, anything that's going to hold us back at all from the mission that God has sent in front of us as a church. And we'd remember our potential for good. We'd remember our potential to be used by God to change the world. And we'd remember our responsibility to represent him well, to put in a good word everywhere we go, everything we say, everything we do. And I pray that we dare to be different, church, to be decidedly different. We've got tables that are set up all around the room at the valley and at east. We're just gonna invite you whenever you're ready as you, as you come forward when the band will play. I'm gonna pray in just a moment, but you can take a piece of bread and take a cup and take it back to your seat with you, but spend a moment with God and those elements. Begin to just invite God to assess with you and commit to an adjustment and open up to accountability in your life. Remember what God's done and look forward to what he's placed in front of you and just see what it is that God wants to speak to you in this moment tonight. Because what we receive today from God, church, we are. Let me pray for you. God, today, we just want to say, God, as your church, as your people, as, as children of the King, God, we are in awe of how much you love us. And God, tonight as we prepare to come to this table, God, as we prepare to remember what you've done for us, God, we prepare to look forward to what it is that you've placed in front of us, God, to look forward to what it is that you're calling us to. God, would our hearts be changed tonight? God, would we return to our first love tonight, Father? Would we just allow what you did for us, God, to overwhelm us once again tonight? God, may this be a turning point 
in our lives. God, may you continue to use your church. God, may we continue to be your hands and your feet. And God, maybe we not grow weary of doing good. Maybe we continue to give it our very best because you're worthy of that, Father. God, we love you today. We ask all of this in the incredible and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. As the band plays, church, come to the table and find life afresh and anew.